0: Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties Podcast. Free Press Media Press, Inc., and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard.
1: Greetings, sir. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am good. How's life with you? It's good. I'm sorry. I could not find the link. I just found it now. I guess you sent it today. I assumed you sent it earlier. I looked for it, couldn't find it. Then I saw it. So I have it now. Excellent. We're glad to have you. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties Podcast. Glad to be here.
0: Let's get started by you kindly giving us an introduction to yourself and what ultimately led you to the
1: Libertarian Party. Um, people who are really interested can just Google Larry Sharp if they're really interested. The reality of it is I think this is the only way for us to move forward as a nation. I see all the pain that we have now. I see the disruption that we have now. I see division that we have now, and we are the only movement, the liberty movement, that can be a healer. We're the only ones who can cross the aisle. If you're a Democrat now, and you want to cross the aisle and and try to help a Republican out, you're going to lose your seat. If you're a Republican now, and you want to, you know, go talk to Democrats, you're going to lose your seat, right? It's just not going to work. And the best example I can give you is last year, death of George Floyd. George Floyd died, the left yells, you know, defund the police, the right yells back the blue and no one does anything. But at that point, there was one libertarian in Congress at the time. His name is Justin Amash. And he decided, you know what, let's put a bill together and let's start the process of making actual reform, not defunding the police, but fixing them and and making things better. And the first thing he tried was a bill that would end qualified immunity. And he brought it up over a year ago, and he found Democrats, Republicans together to agree with it. That's what we can do. And that's the only way that we heal. Otherwise, we just keep going down this terrible, terrible place that we're going down and nothing gets better.
0: All right. Sounds good. So since you ran for governor before, what did you learn for running for governor?
1: You like generic questions. That's a broad, broad generic question. Also, um, let me try to give you something that beat will be juicy for you. Okay. Um, cash. The value of dollars. I didn't, I mean, I wasn't naive enough. I was naive, but I wasn't so naive as to not understand how valuable money was. Um, I, I knew it was valuable and I raised a half a million dollars. And sadly, I thought that would, you know, give me enough to be, I don't know, competitive is what I thought. I believed that if I ran a good solid campaign, that if people saw me, that I was out there doing things, getting press traveling that the press would eventually say, you know what? Let's at least cover this guy. That's what I thought would happen. Uh, that that's how na- naive I was. And I thought, well, the polling would put me in. I'm officially the candidate. I'm I'm registered. I'm doing stuff. They would they would cover me. They wouldn't. And when I asked most of the you know stations why they wouldn't cover me, they were very they were very forward. They said, well you don't buy ads. So the system is far more pay-to-play than I realized. If you buy ads, you're covered. If you don't buy ads, who are you? So that was a key component that I found. And the same thing I think popped up with polling, right? Polling, I would say, why am I not in the polls? Again, I'm a candidate, I'm registered, I'm running, I'm raising money, why am I not in the polls? And it comes very, very forward. Well, you don't buy the polls. How much is the poll cost? $40,000. Well, small candidates don't have $40,000 to spend on polls particularly if you want to, if you want to be, you know, effective, you got to buy them often and you got to be able to post them many times. You can't raise that kind of money. It's it's impossible. So I think if I learned anything, it was how powerful money was. Again, I knew it was powerful. I had no idea how powerful it was because the sad part is the average American is never going to know who you are or what your views are. So in theory, I could have had the answers for everything, right? I've got the magic powers, to solve every one of your problems. That would be amazing. And if I had that, it actually wouldn't matter because people wouldn't see me in polls, which means in the average American's minds, I'm not valid. And people wouldn't see me on commercials, in which case the average American goes, he's not valid. So I can't gain validity without cash. And I think that was the biggest thing. Okay, (laughs) good to know.
0: So we have listeners on to this podcast running for office in itself. So one deal they have to confront is assembling a team. Yes. What would you advise to people
1: on how to assemble a team? If you're running for office and you think in any way that you should not build a team, and some people actually think that. They're like, "Well, do I don't need to build a team. I can do a lot of this myself." Um that's insanity. Don't bother running. Just don't bother running. You are literally wasting your time and you will have more pain than anything else you 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 could gain. You have to build a team. And the way you build a team as a general rule is two things. Number one, don't think about organizing for organizing's sake. And we did it often. Like, I got to get some people. I got to organize. That's boring. Nobody cares. The first thing you want to do is think about what is your impact going to be and or, depending upon what you're running for, um, how are you gonna define a win? And or, what issue or issues are you gonna push? Now I was very broad on that because it depends what you're running for, right? You're running for city council versus running for governor. Way different in each one. Some are much more local. Some have higher chances of victory. Some you can change what victory is, right? If, if you're running for city council and you and you may not win, But you can maybe kill a bill that will change a tax rate or a tax code or stop something from being built or get something to be built. Then that can still be a win, even though you didn't win the election. Obviously, if you win the election, that's the home run. But you want to find out something else you're going to care about. And once you have that thing, find people who care about that thing or things. That's the critical issue. Who cares about whatever, getting the new park built or who cares about not having the new park built? or adding attacks or not having attacks, whatever is the issue. Look for those people first. Mission first. Once you have the mission, then people tend to coalesce around the mission versus the individual. So focus on what you're planning to achieve. If you're doing something like, I want to give people a choice. You are absolutely wasting your time. Don't bother running. You're fooling yourself. If you instead say, I'm, I want to make something happen or, raise awareness of this issue or change this bill or law. Any of those things are completely valid. You've got to be able to clearly say what that is. If you can't, you're not going to be able to build a good team. So that's the first thing. Find out what your actual mission is. Once you've found what your mission is, then start grabbing people. There's a general rule you want at least minimum two people. I'd like to have 20, of course, but at least two. And here are the two someone who is your manager. And your manager in a large campaign is gonna have many lieutenants, many deputies. In a small campaign, your manager will basically manage where you're going and also manage your schedule, and very often will also manage um, where you're going to be and how you're gonna be in places. They'll manage those things. So they make sure that you can show up either online or show up in person or whatever the case may be. They will manage you so that the, your your goal is in the perfect world, which is not always perfect, obviously, but in the perfect world, all you do is show up and communicate. Many times when I ran my campaign, I didn't even know where I was going until I got there. And that was fine. I didn't mind at all. That's why I had a team to do that, right? That it meant that I could spend the time required to learn, figure things out, that kind of stuff. The second person you want is someone who will deal with your social media, because if you're running third party, that's all you got. You only got social media. The media is not going to cover you unless you're very lucky, and I hope we all are. But unless you are that's all you got is social media it can't be you doing your social media alone it must be somebody else but larry they may screw up yes so what but larry they may say something wrong yes so what i'd rather them say something wrong than not say anything at all let them go out and if they mess up they mess up my team screwed up all the time so what you might go but larry what if i get popular if you get popular they're going to lie about you anyway so it's irrelevant it doesn't matter what you actually say the second I had any ability to to do well in my state and that happened, probably they figured it out probably you know, four months, three months before the election that I actually might do some damage. That's when all of a sudden the, the party's got an extra couple of million dollars in and all of a sudden the smear campaigns came out. I'm a I'm a plant or I'm a this or I hate cops or whatever. None of those things are true. It didn't matter. And I, and I never said any of those things. So there was like literally zero evidence of anything. They'll make it up anyway. Don't worry about it. If, you, if you're lucky enough to be important, that's when you get slandered. So that's the good thing. So those two are required just to get moving. But there's a third piece that can either be a person you build or someone you know or a consultant. But this piece is the, is the next piece you have to have. And that is a policy chief. When you run third party, you have to have good ideas and policies. You might say, well, Larry, the two parties, they don't have any ideas. You're right. They don't have to. The system is unfair. It's just the way it works. It is unfair. You can be mad about it if you want to. No worries. Shake your fist at the system. Scream and yell. I get it. That's wonderful. Not going to change for now. The reality of it is all the left and right have to do is yell that they are not the other. And they're fine. Literally, if you're a Democrat, you can just yell, I'm not a Republican. If you're a Republican, you can just yell, I'm a Democrat. And you'll be fine. That's totally acceptable in today's political atmosphere. It's not for a third party. We are held to a different unfair standard and they're gonna assume that we're wrong or stupid or have bad ideas or or dismiss us. That's the assumption that they're going to make. In which case, what we must be able to do is answer questions with policies. You want to be able to answer people's problems with actual policy ideas. So you're gonna have to build out a policy team that is actually easier than you might think there are like thousands of of people who are in small parties or who aren't in who are, who are either in small parties or in no parties who are angry about stuff tons of them they're everywhere so well, if you know people who are angry about stuff great tell them to stop being angry and instead do some digging and figure out how we can change policies and that becomes your policy team people who are angry or upset or bothered by what's happening now in their world, you go, great, how do we fix it? The candidate themselves should not be reading every law and going through the details of everything. That's not the candidate's job. That's your policy team's job. And luckily there are literally thousands of people who love this stuff. They're happy to go in and dig and do research and find information. And they go through it, find the details of the information, and then use it with your policy team. And when I say this, I mean it's literally every single week you sit with your policy team every single week, whether it's Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday morning, I don't care when, and you come up with policies. What would you do in case of X? How can you get around it? And you cannot be caught with a gotcha. Again, it's totally not fair. If someone says, well, what about you know Rule 775, and you don't know what Rule 775 is, you are dismissed. You are just dismissed. But Larry, the Democrat doesn't know, the Republican doesn't know, they don't have to, they're Democrats, Republicans. It's not required of them. It is unfair. You must know. If you don't know, you're clearly one of those crazy people who don't know what they're talking about. So you have to be able to answer all these questions. And one an individual simply can't and run. That's why you have to build a policy team out. My policy team when I ran was over eight people. And we rotated them around for specialties. And I built entire policies. If, if, you, if you care, you can go to LarrySharp.com policy. My policies there along with white papers. When you put white papers out, they're still there now. Sadly, that's what you must do if you really want to run as a third party. That's good advice. So for candidates
0: who are running for office, whether internally or otherwise, they're going to get unsolicited advice. So how do you recommend dealing with unsolicited advice?
1: Uh I'm not sure what you mean that, Can you be a bit more specific on that? Sure. Such as somebody will tell
0: you, you should do, you should get on TikTok or you should do this, or you should do that.
1: Only one thing you want to ask them, have they run for office before, or have they been part of a campaign that ran a serious campaign? If they say no, they are irrelevant. Okay. It's that simple. They're relevant. Every, what I love is people who do this. You know, Larry, you got to get your name out there. Oh, wow. Really? Thank you for your advice. I didn't know that. I thought I could sit in my room and do nothing all day. You get tons of that. Well, you should You should go on CNN. Yeah, because I just wait and CNN just takes my call. I mean, when people say something like that, be nice and polite. I'm not saying be mad at them, but be nice. They're, most of the time when people say things like that, they're trying to be good. They're not being jerks. They're trying to be helpful because they care. And that's wonderful. It's just when you hear that same stuff 45 times with everyone acting like the pain that you're going through is so simple and so easy, just go on Fox News. Well, yeah, if it was that easy, don't you think I'd go on? Just get on, on CNN. Yeah, if it was that easy, don't you think I'd just go on? So it's not that easy. It's very hard to get to, it's very hard to push through, particularly if you are someone who I was lucky in that I didn't work while I ran. I literally just took time off, didn't take a salary and just suffered for a year and a half. That's fine. I I knew what I was doing. I dealt with that. But a lot of people can't afford to do that. So they have to also work and deal with family and run for office. That is doubly, triply challenging. And not just that, when you put yourself out there, people attack you. They call you names, they insult you, they call you stupid, all types of things. And again, I knew what I was part of, and I've I've done it before, and I'll keep doing it. But for the average person trying to run, it isn't always easy, particularly when they feel like, I'm trying to do the right thing. If you're a person running, and you really believe that you're doing the right thing, if you believe that you're trying to fix things, and then people just take massive dumps all over you, it can be disheartening. And We're just human beings. It can be disheartening. And you might go, Larry, they should know better. Yeah, which is why I don't care. I get yelled at all the time. I'm totally fine with it. I still go out and get screamed at. I know what I'm putting myself up against. I've been doing this for five years. Some people haven't. And when someone goes, well, what's wrong with you? Just you know, go on Joe Rogan, like Joe Rogan sitting by his phone waiting for your call, right? Stuff like that eventually can get on someone's nerves and it can make them feel stupid and insulted and it often can break them, which is why you find so many people run for office in the last month or so literally just shut down. They just don't run anymore. The, the the campaign shuts down before the before it's over because they become so disenchanted, so disheartened, they just they just quit. And I would like to avoid that. I would like more people running for office. I would like more people trying to do the right thing. I hope I'm not being discouraging. That's not I'm not trying to be discouraging. I'm trying to let people understand what it's like so that when it hits them, they're not shocked. They're like, yep, Larry talked about this. Yep. That's what he's talking about. So, and I would like us to be a bit more supportive of them. And in other words, be more charitable. What you see happen constantly is some guy is running for office, some guys is running for office. Either her or her team makes a, a mistake online. And then everybody who was on their side immediately just takes massive dumps all over them, calls them names, calls them stupid. This is why we could never win. All types of things like that. And the person doing it doesn't realize there's a human being behind that. There's someone who believes, at least, they're trying to do the right thing. Whether you agree with that or not, obviously, is is up to you. But they believe they're doing the right thing. And if you want things to change, you shouldn't immediately smack someone as soon as they make a mistake. Think about it. How many mistakes have the Democrats, republicans made? Bazillions of them. And they're still in power, and they're still fine. And they have people who will carry their water through the most horrible things. And if you're a third-party candidate, it's rare you have that. Use your, your group. We'll just turn on you as soon as you screw up.
0: One strategy people have for running for office is going door to door,
1: especially for the local races. Is that a feasible strategy for a governor race? Not at all. 100% no. Um, In a local race, you can't beat door to door. They're correct. That is the answer. If you have a constituency... To where you can literally knock on, you know, at least a third of the doors in your in your group. That is, ex- that's so the answer. Absolutely, yes, yes, and yes. If you're in a state like New York State, which takes me just to drive across the state eight hours, um, just and not even to stop, just to physically drive across the state eight hours, it's impossible. California, impossible. Um, you have to rely on media for large races. It doesn't mean you shouldn't knock on doors. You should, but it cannot be the number one thing you do. It just can't. It's not feasible, right? For me to win uh, a a statewide election in New York State, I have to garner at least 3 million votes, at least. If I get 3 million votes, there's no way I can knock on 3 million doors. It's just, and to get 3 million doors, I got to knock on 9 million doors. It's just impossible, right? So that kind of uh, situation doesn't work for large scale races like that. Now, there's a caveat here, to be clear. It means you shouldn't be knocking on doors. But do you want to have a team of people locally doing it for you? Great, great idea. If you can get students or local um, party chapters or local party affiliates to make those to knock on those doors for you, do sign waves and such, wonderful idea. But for you individually as the candidate to be knocking on doors when you're doing a race as large as a governor race in most states. I mean, I know Rhode Island's a small state. I don't, I don't know exactly how small it is. So perhaps you could knock on every door on Rhode Island. I don't actually know the answer to that question. But again, that's my issue. If you can knock on most of the doors in your state because your state is small, go on. But any large state, it's it's not feasible at all. No. Unless you have others doing it for you. Okay. That is
0: good advice. That's good perspective. So here's a question. I've noticed that a fair number of business people run for office. They own a business. And maybe it's because both require ambition. So what are some things that people who are in business need to change to when they go to politics? And where are some things they can keep the same and that can serve them in politics?
1: The reasons why entrepreneurs tend to run is three reasons. One, entrepreneurs tend to be okay asking for money because they're selling a product or service. And you've got to be able to ask for money to run for office. I raised half a million dollars running for my office. Most of that I asked for myself. Not all, but a lot of it I did. So I'm always asking for money. You got to be able to ask for money. If you can't do that, you're not going to do well in politics. It's just, again, the way of, way of things. Second, entrepreneurs. They own the business. They can take off when they want to if they don't want to show up for six months or take weekends off what they can. When you got a nine to five job, tough. What happens when uh, CNBC says they can only talk to you at 10 a.m. and, you know, in a Tuesday morning and you got to work? I guess you missed that one. If you're an entrepreneur, yeah, I'll be there. No worries. So that's another reason why entrepreneurs uh, run for office. Second, entrepreneurs, they, are, they own businesses. So they very often have a decent amount of money, which means they can put their own money in. They know other entrepreneurs. They get other entrepreneurs who also put their money in. When I ran for office, the first thing I did was write myself a check for $10,000 because I had to say, if I'm going to ask people for money, I didn't put my own in first. So I put my own money in my campaign first, which was legal. I could do that. I, I followed the rules uh, of my state. I could do that. And I put my money in, and then I ask others for money. Entrepreneurs can also self-fund their campaigns right away. So there are many reasons why entrepreneurs do it. Plus, entrepreneurs are about to lose. So they want to change rules and regulations and such because it's their livelihood. So there's many reasons why they run. So if you are an entrepreneur and you want to run, let me give you some things. Number one, do not run your campaign like a um, a business. It's not going to work campaigns are not businesses. Most of the people working for you are working for free or less than they wouldn't in the market. So it's not about the money. You don't, you can't be that way. Most of them are nowhere near as trained as you would hire people in your business. You are going to get people who are volunteers or who just love you or love your party or love your idea or your, your movement. So they're not trained. So you can't hire the best talent as you could if you're in the business. So you're going to have less talented people. What are you going to have? More motivated people. That's for sure. So don't run your campaign like a business. Run your campaign like a passion project. That is the issue. It's a passion project. It's all about emotion and caring and feelings and all the things entrepreneurs often can't stand dealing with during business. You have to be able to do that well. If you can't, you are going to be swapping your team out left and right. You are going to be inefficient. So you have to be forgiving. You have to be loving. You have to be open and you have to give your people access to you or to your events because it's a passion project. That's the key. It is a passion project.
0: So what would you say would be a way to win a nomination of an alternative party? How would one go through the ranks and how would one ascend and get support of the whole party?
1: Uh, whatever party you do, most most small parties, they don't do a good job of campaigning before they get the nomination. That's the key. So let's say you're part of the Green Party, the Batarian Party, and you're, you know, your convention is in April of the election year. Say next year, April 2022, your convention is April. All you do is talk about running. You set everything up, and you come to the convention. You try to convince the people around you to pick you. Um, and that if they do, you start running. That's your mistake. Run as if Democrats do Republicans do it. Why shouldn't you? You should be running your campaign as if you're already nominate, a nominee before your convention. So if your convention's in April, if you're not running by December, what's wrong with you? When I came to my uh, nominating convention in 2018, I came to my convention, I had already raised. A hundred thousand more than a hundred thousand dollars. I already raised six figures. I already had a press reel. I brought the press reel there, so you can see the press had already gotten and I already built my team. So I'd already built my team, had a press reel, and I raised six figures. How could they not nominate me? How could they not? I was already doing it. They showed they saw success in me because I already showed them success. So if you want people to get behind you, who may not be able to get behind you, may not want to. Go ahead. That's number one. Now, I did that, by the way, also when I tried to become the, the, the VP nominee in 2016 for the Libertarian Party. And I lost to Bill Weld by 31 votes. Not that I'm counting. Who's counting, right? Just 31 votes. I'm teasing. But yes, so that's what that's what I lost. I almost beat a sitting governor. Why? Because one, I was campaigning before I got there. The second piece, in small, particularly small, um, small um parties, but all, but heavily in small parties, If there's some type of nominating convention or something like that, coalition building is everything. You cannot take a hard stance against any faction within your party. And there will always be factions in every party. Can you be against certain things? Yes. Can you be against certain individuals? Yes, of course you can. You're still human. I don't want you to pen to everybody. But you don't want to take a hard stance like, all those guys are the bad guys. That is not going to be good for coalition building. The person who wins the person who can put together the best coalition. So understand that if you're going to do that, while you should have, you know, whatever are your rules or whatever are your standards, those are all important. But the bigger issue though is do you have you made it to where the other people can't talk to you? Right? That's the issue. You don't want to make it to where the other people can't talk to you because you've been so mean or nasty or angry or whatever the case be, or made them the enemy. You wanna make sure that everybody can talk to you. That is the critical aspect of coalition building.
0: So what are some tips you have for small party candidates that are getting ballot access? What would you recommend as to the best way to make sure they get on the ballot when they're running for office?
1: Um, Wow, that's another broad question. Um, Let me see if I can give you something decent for this one. Almost always, almost any state, there is going to be some type of um, signature gathering or collection, some type of petitioning in some way, shape, or form. Almost every state, you're going to have something like that. So what I'd say is two things. One, ensure that your people know this. Like, let your team know, let your party know that I'm going to need petitioners. I'm going to need people to go on the street and get some issues in some way, shape, or form, wave signs, something and organize that early. And I mean very early. Who's gonna be in my district? Who's gonna be running my district? Who's prepared to go out there? Do I have to get people at uh, paid people? Do I, can I just use volunteers? Whatever that might be. Set that up as early as possible and gather as many people from your party to do so. Why? If people in your party start gathering signatures for you, or positioning for you, they are more likely to be loyal to you and will then vote for you at your convention. So spend the time gathering the teams together to do whatever petitioning or signing that you might need. That will assist in getting people to vote for you at the group, of course, but also when people are getting signatures, they're talking about you or your party or your movement to the average person. It gets the petitioners more comfortable talking about you or your movement or whatever the case may be, which means more people have a chance of voting for you. So you increase your odds of you getting votes, you increase your name recognition, and you, you ensure that if you have a lot of people who've signed, who've gotten a uh, petition signed, even if the state changes its rules, which states often do, you still have a core group of people who know how to do this, can train others to do this, almost no matter what in any state. There's some exceptions, obviously, but almost all states and groups, if you can get enough signatures, you can get on the ballot. So the issue is you need a team of people who both know how to do it, want to do it, are good at it and can train. Petitioners are your key. So basically the
0: same attributes you need for running for office in general helps in ballot access.
1: Um. Yes, I would agree, yes. I never worried about ballot access when I was running because I already had my team built out, people were behind me already. I was never concerned for that exact reason, yes. Okay, good. So what do you
0: recommend for fundraising techniques for small party candidates? Such as online GoFundMe type places or telephone phone banks like the major parties use. What tactic or strategy do you recommend for fundraising?
1: I think you need all of them. There is every one of them. Um, yeah, there every one of them. You want to you want to call if you if you know there are people if you can get if you can get you know people to to give you their numbers if you can have that happen. Of course, call. Social media tends to be the easiest of them because you can just do an ask. When possible, have someone else ask for you, right? In the best case scenario, and I know a lot of candidates don't have this, but if you do, get someone who is relatively popular or at least personable in your world to kind of emcee an event. The event can be online or it can be in person, preferably in person. And of course, streamed online is always the best that you can. And you know, the person comes up and, and maybe says something funny or interesting because they're popular or they're personable, bring somebody else up who hopefully is either known or popular or personable, and they say something nice about you, then you say your presentation on what you're going to do and how you're going to change things or stop things or increase things and make things better. Then the MC comes back on and says, guys, if you want this to happen, you got to support and then ask for the money. That is a very great way of doing it. It could be short, 20 minutes, literally 20 minutes, three people total, two people who are either popular and or personable, hopefully both if you happen to have that, but we don't always have that. I mean, it could even be like your your spouse or your mom or your daughter or whatever. It could be someone like that who just knows you. It could be that too, but someone who's personable, preferably popular. You do that, and at the end, that person asks for the money. Whenever you're asking for money, remember, you're giving them value. Don't think I'm begging for money because you're not. What are you doing? You're giving somebody value, right? If you're a Green Party guy or gal and you're like, well, we're going to, you know, make the environment better or whatever is the thing of the day that you're doing in your area, maybe it's local and you want to, you know, I don't know, clean up a a waste site someplace or change the sanitation company, whatever it is. If the people want a different sanitation company or they want that site cleaned up, then they got to pay for it. How are they going to pay for it? By giving you money so that you can move this issue forward, obviously, hopefully win amid actual change. But even if you can't win, can you put enough pressure on the other people who are running so that they change their views, so that they take action, so that people do stuff because you pushed it? That still is a win. You do that, then guess what? People who care will give you money. But a lot of people who don't care, they're not going to give you money. That's the whole point I was talking about up front. Do you have an actual goal or impact that you're talking about. If you don't, why the hell are you running? But if you have something you want to achieve or do or change or act, you talk about that all the time. And people who don't care will walk away there because they don't care. But some people hopefully are gonna care. If nobody cares, you're in the wrong area, you're really having a a tough time. But hopefully somebody cares about what you care about. And they say, great, you care about this thing? Write me a check, give me some cash, buy my t-shirt, whatever. That's how you do it. All right. So how can our audience out there support you in your endeavors? Head over to sharpway.com or larrysharp.com, whichever you prefer. You can just Google Larry Sharp. I do a podcast almost every night, sometime around 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. I'm very active on social media. Find me. And you know what? I have a book coming out. Next month, I have a book coming out on happiness, And you can go to sharpway.com, click on the book, and you will see details on the book. Excellent. We can encourage people to go there.
0: Well, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you giving us tips to our audience who may be running for office or helping someone run for office. So we appreciate the experience that you shared with us today.
1: I'm glad. I hope it helped people to, to make better campaigns and those who may have run and failed, Hopefully it's it's shown you some good ideas and how you can do it again if you want to, or if you think it's not for you anymore, how you can help somebody else do it. Sounds good. Well, you have yourself a great
0: day and all the best to you in your endeavors. Thank you, sir. Bye now.